This morning's reading is from James chapter 4 on page 1215 of the Church Bibles. James chapter 4, starting at verse 1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desire, desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. This is why the scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. morning everybody. Uh, It'd be good to keep that passage open um, and we can uh, pray together before we start. Just sort my headset out. Father God, we pray now as we come to your word that you might teach us wonderful things of you. We thank you, Lord, that you are indeed a God of peace, a God of reconciliation, God of love, God of comfort. May we know you better as we study your word today. Amen. A young girl got a little confused one day after being given a history essay to write. She wrote this. Armistice was signed on November the 11th, 1918. And since then, we've had two minutes of peace every year. (laughs) A bit of a slip of the pen. But actually, I wonder if it contains a sad truth that we live in a world where peace seems to be in short supply. 
when we do consider the countries across the globe in conflict, it shocks us. Well, I hope it shocks us. The violence in Syria continues, the battles, the conflict and fighting between the Turks and the Kurds. Catalonia and Spain arguing and quarreling over independence. Disagreements, broken relationships, broken political parties, broken powers. Even in London, 15,000 offences involving knife crime this year, leaving families bereaved and broken and communities fearful. Dreams of world peace may seem to us a distant and impossible hope. And perhaps that's how we feel as we come together on this Remembrance Day. Perhaps we wonder whether it's even worth praying for. Nothing seems to change. And increasingly, men, women and children are gathering year by year to remember those they have lost. Those that they've lost not just in the big world wars in the past, but in recent and current conflicts which daily leave people broken and grieving. The poet Steve Turner wrote, history repeats itself. It has to, no one listens. It seems that when we look at history and consider the centuries of conflict and war, things just don't change. People still argue and fight, wrestle for power, and cannot stop killing each other. Today, we're going to look at this passage in James and think about two things. Firstly, we're going to think about the cause and the consequence of conflict. Why are wars and rumors of wars forever with us? Why do families break down, relationships fail, countries battle it out for independence and power? But secondly, what does it mean to pursue the way of peace? Can things be different? Is there hope? And what can we do here in Bath to make the world a more peaceable and loving place? So firstly, the cause and consequence of conflict. James is writing his letter to a group of Christians in conflict, a church or churches in conflict. And he opens this chapter in chapter four with the key question, what causes fights and quarrels among you? But he then immediately begins to answer his own question. Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? We all know churches where problems have arisen from conflict and broken relationships, where there's been quarrels and dissension, where people have been hurt and have left. It is so deeply sad. And it seems sad too because Christians are just as prone to fights and quarrels as others are. We all have the same problem right across humanity. Anyone with children, big or small, might easily begin to see what the cause is. We only have to watch the older child swipe a toy from their younger sibling to see the reason a fight would break out. The fact that little sister is playing with something older brother wants or the other way around seems intolerable and unfair and results in tears and the naughty step. It can be messy. But you see, James is saying that the cause of all conflict, whatever age we are, is the human heart. It's the human heart. 
You see, human beings by nature are selfish beings. The Bible calls this sin. We want things our own way, and so we do anything to get what we want. We follow the desires of our hearts. Think back to Genesis chapter 4, where Cain cannot bear to see the blessings God pours out on Abel because he's offered his best to God. So out of anger and jealousy, Cain murders his brother. Think too of David, Bathsheba, and Uriah. James says to his readers here, they want something, but they don't get it. They kill and covet, but cannot have what they want. No different to David. David's desire was for Bathsheba, but she wasn't his to have. So instead, he finds a way to get what he wants, summons her, seduces her, and sends her husband to the front to be killed so he can marry her. His sinful, selfish desires, even as God's chosen king, are the, bring about the consequence of conflict, violence, and pain. We all know how easy it is to fight for what we want. And we know too that quarrels can ensue for years sometimes. Because fights and quarrels, conflict and war are the consequence of our sin. The consequence of our disobedience and rebellion against the one who made us. It's so easy, isn't it, to blame God for the troubles in our world. To be angry at him for letting it happen. But you see, Romans tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. There's no one right with him, not even one. And so we all, in one way or the other, contribute to the problem in our world, in our communities, in our families, in our governments, even in our churches. Those in government, in politics, make wrong decisions because of the state of their hearts, and I'm not going into politics today. But those who misuse power and bring about suffering of innocent, innocent people make those decisions because they're the state of their own hearts. They don't always get it right. And sometimes it's depressing and seems hopeless. And when we follow our own desires, James writes in this passage that we make ourselves friends with the world and enemies of God. Because we make decisions on the basis of what James calls earthly and unspiritual wisdom. That's what he talks about in chapter 3 of the book. And we become bitter and jealous, self-seeking, put our own needs ahead of the needs of others and our own ambitions uh, before the care and concerns of those we spend time with. And in doing so, we create a great chasm between us and God. And consequently, there's no unity between us and God and no unity between us and one another. And that is exactly what was going on in this church or in these churches. Christians were not united together. Instead, groups were forming and they were setting themselves up as the kind of true Christian group, the ones who were really doing things right. Their own desires and selfish ambition ruled over love and unity for God and for each other. How sad that even the church is in danger of listening to earthly wisdom instead of the wisdom of God. And each year we come to our Remembrance Day services, we're reminded again of the tragic decisions of the past 
and the consequences that ensued. We're reminded of the choices and the decisions and ability to wield power and manipulate others that leads to loss and sadness on a scale we just cannot comprehend. And it doesn't stop. People still make choices. They consider to be wise and yet they're not. Because our world says, look after number one. Make sure we stand up for our rights. Don't let anyone put you down. The world encourages us to push ourselves forward, even when it leaves other people trampled in the ground. And consequently, there are fights and quarrels. People are hurt and broken. Wars are waged. And those in power take delight in bringing others down. I know this sounds depressing, but hear me when I say too that there are some wonderful, many, many wonderful people who we remember today, who have fought and died selflessly in different conflicts, or who have stood up in families against bullying or violence, who sought to bring reconciliation in relationships. But we can't avoid the conflict in our world our work, our homes, and our neighborhoods, even in our churches, because we have a problem. G.K. Chesterton once wrote a response to a letter in the paper that asked the question, what is wrong with the world? And his answer was simple. I am, he wrote, because he knew we had a problem, a problem that we couldn't deal with ourselves. Nevertheless, Nevertheless, God has acted to deal with the problem. <laughs> Sorry. To bring about change. To bring about hope. To bring about peace. You see, conflict and war, fights and quarrels are not the end of the story. Because there is hope and a way of peace. We can pursue the way of peace. We can pursue the way of peace because there is hope. James tells us there is great hope, not from us, sorry, but from God himself. Great hope that will make a difference today, tomorrow, and bring peace rather than war. The first stroke of 11 produced a magical effect. The tram cars glided into stillness. Motors ceased to cough and fume and stopped dead. And the mighty limbed dray horses hunched back upon their loads and stopped also, seeming to do it of their own volition. Someone took off his hat and with a nervous hesitancy, the rest of the men bowed their heads also. Here and there, an old soldier could be detected slipping unconsciously into the posture of attention. An elderly woman, not far away, wiped her eyes, and the man beside her looked white and stern. Everyone stood very still. The hush deepened. It had spread over the whole city 
and become so pronounced as to impress one with a sense of audibility. It was a silence which was almost pain. And the spirit of memory brooded over it all. That was how the first two-minute silence in London on 11th of the November, 1919, was reported in the Manchester Guardian. Almost exactly a hundred years to the day. That two minutes was filled with remembering, with the pain of the past, but also with the hope and longing for a future that would be different, a future of peace. And James here gives his readers hope. He guides them to come to the God of the universe himself, to pursue his way, the way of peace instead of conflict. He says, submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil, come near to God, and he will come near to you. In coming to God, we will no longer be pursuing our own desires, but allowing him, the creator of all things, our loving, peaceful saviour, to dwell with us by, the, by his powerful spirit and rule over us with his loving care, guiding us in our decisions for peace. Through relationship with Christ, we can enjoy a wisdom that comes from heaven itself, rather than relying on the world's wisdom. Chapter 3 of James tells us that this wisdom is pure, it's peace-loving, it's considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. And it produces peacemakers who bring others into right relationship with God and make a beautiful difference for him in the world. It promotes unity and loving relationships. It transforms. And it can transform our lives, our families, our communities, our governments, and countries across the world. Because it leads to a different life. A different life in relationship with God, marked out by the humility of Christ. Because if we're going to be a people who pursue peace, then we need to practice humility. Of course, humility is the characteristic marked out by the life of Jesus. It's the characteristic that led Jesus to wash the feet of the disciples. And it's humility that lead it, leads Jesus to give up his heavenly glory, to give up his throne, to become a man. And it's humility that leads him to the cross where he laid down his life to bring peace. To bring peace between us and God. What wonderful news is this, that God can change the hearts of people. Because you see, none of us have the hope of bringing peace to the world until we are first at peace with God. And Jesus has done it. He has made that possible. And those whose lives live at peace with God and seek humility, they don't fight for their own ideas because they are looking for the needs of others. 
and supporting others. They're seeking reconciliation and unity in the service of the one who saved them. And that makes a difference. That's the way of pursuing peace. And I believe that that would transform our world, our communities, our churches, our families, and our countries, and our governments. There's one more thing. We need to submit ourselves to God, to practice humility, but we also need to seek forgiveness. Chapter 4 says, Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Recognizing what we're like and repenting of it goes a long way to pursuing peace and making a difference in our world. When we recognize what we like and begin to see how proud we are, we're beginning then to be honest and acknowledging the part that we do play in fights and quarrels. Think how different our world would be if leaders of countries and governments acknowledged when they'd made wrong decisions or when they'd made decisions for themselves and on their own needs. Think how differently our communities would be if neighbors treated neighbors with respect instead of refusing to take responsibility when things go wrong. Or if tribes and peoples that live alongside each other always valued one another, apologized for the past, sought to live in a new future together. Think how different our families would be if sorry became an easy word that came to our tongues rather than blame and justification. Submission, repentance, and humility are all characteristics of Christ. And when we come humbly to him, trusting that he's forgiven us, that he is the Lord, that he is the one that offers peace, lives will be transformed. Don't you think our world would be different if we all lived with these things uppermost in our minds? If we sought not to fan the flames of trouble, but instead pour the healing oil of love and kindness that comes from Christ himself. I know it's hard, and sometimes it seems impossible. But the resources Jesus offers by his spirit living within us are completely unlimited. We can draw on his power daily to bring about our transformation and the transformation of others. As we think today about those that we've lost in wars and conflict, or maybe just lost, and we remember them. How many of these conflicts and struggles would cease if people followed Christ and acknowledged that he is the only one that can provide peace between us and God. Peace beyond all other peace. His peace treats people with respect and consideration. Where we're prepared to learn and to change, to be at peace together. Where we love one another, where we care for those that are suffering, for those that are bereaved that those that are broken. Think about the headlines in our newspapers, how different they would be. So perhaps as we finish, our prayer is 
twofold. To ask God for his godly wisdom. That as his church here in Walcott, as Christians following him in Bath, we might model his wisdom in our lives and in our church. That we might be changed. That others might see not how great we are, but how wonderful is the Prince of Peace. The one who brought reconciliation between people and God. And secondly, we need to pray for godly wisdom for our world and for every area of it. That we might all pursue his peace together. So as we remember those that we've lost and the wars and conflicts that have gone before us and are still raging across the world, let's pray for peace. Let's pray for the lost to come to Christ in our families and in our community here. Let's become peacemakers who long to bring peace and see others come to Christ. Let's pray for the leaders of our country, for leaders of other countries, and for, particularly for leaders who dominate and abuse the power they have. Let's pray for Christians across our world who are persecuted for their faith and yet seeking to live under God's wisdom and making a difference. And let's thank God and remember all those that have gone before us who were indeed peacemakers and sought to live with the char characteristic of Christ in humility as they protected and served their families and countries in war-torn places across generations and our world. Amen.